Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Before the hunter and gatherer, we had the hunter, and then you had the hunter and gatherer, and then people sort of settled down because we could farm. We could produce food without having to roam large areas to find it and bring it back to a group of people. So to say that farming is as is almost equally as old as going out and hunting for food. You hear the term, like I said, the hunter-gatherer. So this week we are joined by one of our local farmers here, Mr. Sonny Scott. How are you doing? And so this week in the studio, I've got Sonny and I've got Jim. Good evening. Briar. Good evening. And myself. We're going to kick into it. We're going to talk about Long and Scott Farms this evening. Sounds good. And that is the home of the Zellwood Sweet Corn. Yes, sir. So what what makes it Zellwood Sweet Corn? Is it like, does it have to be grown in Zellwood, like Vidalia onions or? Yes, sir, it does. Has to be grown right there in Zellwood, and we're the last ones left doing it. That's, That's it, just you. It is absolutely. Now you can get sweet corn just like you can get sweet onions, but you can't get Zellwood sweet corn just everywhere. This is true. So, what do you think's the biggest difference? <clears throat> I mean, you should know. You got to be the expert now. <laughs> If you're going to brag about your product, this is the place to do it, and it's perfectly acceptable. I know you're a humble man. <laughs> uh, we just thrive on quality. Um, we pick the best variety that works for our type of ground, and the practices we used over the years have, um, have worked out well for us, and everybody seems to love it. Something about that sand land that we're on, um, they used to grow a lot of sweet corn on the muck. I think around 20,000 acres is what it used to be per season. Um, and now we're only down to about 35 to 40 each season. But um, they keep coming back for it, so it must be good. So give us some history on Long Scott Farms and how it got its start almost 60 years ago. Uh, my grandfather moved here from Virginia. That's where my family's originally from, uh, Chesapeake Bay Area in Cape Charles. His good friend Billy Long uh, lived up there and moved to Florida first, and they were farming on the muck and said, Frank, uh, good opportunity you should move your family down here and come farm and make some money so he packed them up and 500 bucks and they bought 500 acres and moved down here and got going had to clear all the land and all the cabbage palms and pine trees and that's how it got started i read an article that started with 
all of a hundred acres. It might have been. They bought it in sections, so I'm not sure who who where the first hundred acres started. But uh, I got an old newspaper clipping that says from five hundred dollars and five hundred and some lousy equipment. <laughs> oh, I was a question that you had 500 acres in the first year of in vegetables is only 100 acres. But if they're having oh, to yes. clear it all. Yes. Yeah, I apologize. I, I just realized I almost challenged you in what you were saying about your own. No, <laughs> not, that was not my intent that it was 100 acres, you know, and I think about because we the hunt 250 without a question. And I'm like, that's a lot of faith that you're going to come down, start a farm, get 100 acres of vegetables and then grow it into what it's become. They were doing good to get 100 acres cleared probably to yeah, yeah, I can so imagine. farmable. Um, but yeah, I know it was a, a lot of work and they didn't have the equipment we do these days. So uh, those guys were tough. I mean, that's... The, if you look at the surrounding area now, I mean, some of the... the, the if, you, if you drive the Lake Apopka Wildlife Drive along North Shore Lake Apopka, that's all what used to be the muck farms and that used to at one point that encompassed that was all Lake Apopka and then they diked it up and then turned it into the muck farms out there. And even that is in the last 30 years to become severely overgrown. Oh, yeah. So to think what it was before somebody ever cleared it, that was some thick stuff. Yeah. yeah. A lot and, of rattlesnakes and a lot yeah. of wildlife out there. Water moccasins. And, and cabbage were, palms don't go easy. No, no, no sir. Uh, I've seen Briar try to pull him out with his pickup truck. That was oh. <laughs> big old taproot. Good luck. Yeah. Was that the old white? That was old. Oh, the old man. white. That little that single cab, short bed, white pickup you had. The, the V six that could there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty sure that cabbage palm's still there. Probably is. <laughs> so was the is it that your farm was a little further off the lake? And more sandy as opposed to mucky that that ultimately saved it as opposed to all the muck farmers obviously are gone because of the the restoration of, of Lake Apopka. Yes, sir, that's correct. We were uh, we're about a mile from the edge of the lake, and we're only on the sand land, so they left us alone, thankfully. So in the 1960s, where all the muck farmers looking at your grandfather like, "What are you crazy growing all that crap? Trying to grab, grow grass? <laughs> I'm saying not grow grass, grow vegetables in the, in the sand for what?" They think he was crazy at the time? No, because uh, you still had Zelwyn and uh, some of those other farmers out there that were growing sand, but they were doing mostly carrots and radishes and things like that. Um, but it grows good on the sand. We have um, a hard pan in that soil, so you can build that water table up, and that's how we, we it, went to crops. It's funny you mentioned Zelwyn Farms. My grandfather worked for Zelwyn Farms. Oh, yeah. They were around a long time. I guess they're still mm-hmm. doing some, uh, making egg crates out there or something. Oh, Recycling, doing egg crates. The the office and all is still out there. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, you guys in, in general have a, from the last time I was out there on the farm area, farm, you, you had an interesting agriculture, or uh, it, it, you had an interesting irrigation practice that I haven't seen anywhere else. Whereas about, what about every five to ten rows, you've got a road with a, like a man-made creek running down it. Right, yep. Those are our ditchways, and uh, that's how we do seepage irrigation. The land always falls automatically towards the towards the lake. <clears throat> so we, we land-leveled it the best we could, and uh, you pull those ditches every 60 feet. 
that it'll seep out there in the field and help you out. It's pretty neat because, I, like I said, you, you know, you drive around the southeast anywhere else and you see irrigation, you've got the big pivot head sprinklers and mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah. and they're spraying water out over clay or whatever else. And even a lot of places up around, you get off of I-10 in, in uh, North Florida and it's the same way, the pivot head sprinklers. But Long and Scott is the only place I've ever seen that running those ditchways like you're talking about. The pivots definitely help, and we have big water reels. Uh, water guns is what we call them. They can pull out, and we water four fields at a time, so it, it's got a 120-foot uh, radius. And uh, when you're planting, you have to run those water guns unless you're getting some help from Mother Nature. Um, but once they get established, you can you can build that water table up in the ditches and get enough moisture for your crops. Yeah. So... <clears throat> What makes the farming practice that you guys use different from what everybody else does? Well, besides the seepage uh, irrigation and, and being on the sand, we uh, we do a lot of uh, everything's hand harvested on our farm. We don't use a machine for anything except for sod. We, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We're doing a little more turf grass these days along with the vegetables, and uh, we have an automatic harvester for that, but everything else is picked by hand. Um, thankful to have some H2A labor we bring in that gets that done. And um, we have a packing house, and we, so we can pa- grow, pack, and, and ship everything pre-cool. Everything's right on, on site. Plus, we're, we're contiguous. If you go to a lot of farms up north and different parts of the state, they got a piece of ground, you know, 10 acres here, 20 acres there, and we're all contiguous. You guys are picking corn by hand, too? Yes, sir. Wow. I didn't realize that. I've seen them picking the cucumbers and the cabbage and all that stuff by hand, but never never realized the corn was still being picked by hand, too. Still run the old-fashioned mule trains. <laughs> you know, we started talking about the corn and then kind of got off that a little bit, but you're the last 35 or 40 acres of corn. But why is it, why is it that you can't grow that kind of sweet corn on a different kind of sand or a different kind of hard pan. You, can't, you just can't duplicate what God put here through the evolution of Lake Apopka? Uh, no, they do. They they grow the same variety around Lake Okeechobee and um, up in South Georgia, like Bainbridge area. All right. And it's probably similar, but not not they everything they do is, uh, I wouldn't say everything, but they do a lot of machine harvest. Okay. So, it's the TLC. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> have you ever, have you, Jim? Have you ever taken a piece of like that Zellwood sweet corn and eaten it without cooking it? You know, I, I don't know, but I, I, you and I had a conversation a couple months back about Zellwood sweet corn. When you bite into it, there's no doubt that it's just chock full of sugar. It is, it's like candy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I remember. Well, that's actually kind of what led to this. I was like, we got to get them in here, man. I wish I'd taken better notes of what I was thinking at the time because I had a million different questions. I'm fascinated by all that stuff and the history. And, um, in fact, I know I know there's two seasons on it. I uh, I guess I missed the when is it, when the last one just passed. Yes, sir. We uh, we harvest in the fall from end of September to usually about Thanksgiving is when we. Finish up. It went a little longer this year. The heat, you know, it'll draw out sometimes, some years. And 
Yeah, we've been having a beautiful June this December. <laughs> Pretty much. It's I've been, been kind of busy chasing away. animals, but I should have been chasing some corn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you called it uh, like candy. That's what they used to call the bicolor corn, and that's all we grow now is uh, candy corn. Back then, we'd grow white and yellow corn, and silver queen is what everybody wanted was the white corn. Um, <clears throat> then they, the uh, marketers all wanted you to grow the yellow corn because it looked like it had butter on it, and that was their marketing ploy. And then now that's turned into bicolors, what everybody's after, and that good candy flavor taste. So. Yeah, but that sweet corn doesn't need butter. You don't need to butter that. That's already just as sweet as could be. Well, if you if you cook it too long now, it's it's good out of the field. Uh, my preferred way is to I always boil it, but I just get it warm enough to melt that butter. So about two minutes or so, that's all you need. And yeah, melt the butter and you're good to go. I have gotten myself into a bit of trouble eating too much raw corn. <laughs> As I say. <laughs> you know the next day, don't you? Yeah. Sometimes it don't even take that long because I don't know how much you eat. <laughs> uh, it's it's, like, it's a, very close to akin to eating way too much watermelon. Ooh. It'll uh, it'll run right through you. Soybeans do that to you, too. <laughs> I don't eat a whole lot of it. That's my food's food, all right? <laughs> So man, this how long has farming been in your family? You you talked about up in Virginia. Did they farm in Virginia, or is that something that got started when they moved down here? Uh, yes, sir. We farmed in Virginia. So as far back as I know, my great great grandfather farmed, and um, before him, I don't know. I would I would have to say it would go back Civil War times, but I don't know all the particulars on that. But they did a lot of potatoes and uh, and corn and cotton and all up in Virginia. Whereabouts was the family from in Virginia? It's Cape Charles is the town. It's that little Yeah, piece. you over on the western shore? <clears throat> yes, sir. Just across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Just drove through it last year yep. on the way up to Maine. Yeah. Super neat up there. Very pretty. Yeah, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Probably not much farm town left there. Those guys, my cousins are still up there doing it. Yeah. Are they really? Absolutely. You cross wow. over and there's a little beach town that's really gorgeous and laid out in a grid. Been there since Civil War, you can tell. And then it's beautiful. Really? Yeah, it's gorgeous out there. I haven't spent much time in Virginia. It's it's pretty up there. Yeah. Been through it a few times. Never stayed. No. Now, is the duck hunting still what it used to be on Chesapeake Bay? I don't know. Um, I've only been out there a few times to do it. Yeah. And, um, it's the best answer you can give. No, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> don't go. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about the duck hunting and the fellowship of family and all that. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're headed up there soon, aren't you? You were saying earlier. Yeah, next week. Yes, sir. I see my cousin Dell. He's the one that, that farms up there. There you go. Awesome. He didn't flood any cornfields for you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's got some special spots, but we got a, uh, the family's got a cabin that's on the Chesapeake Bay. It's, you got to get there by the boat. And once you're out there, oh, man. you've got a generator power, compost toilet, that's bunk neat. beds, and you got a little kitchen area, and it's roughing it. Yeah. Sounds like it. It's fun though. Now, <laughs> one more question: Does he have a Chesapeake Bay Retriever? Yes, he the does. Duck hunts. That yes, would be awesome. Wow. Yep. I, I consider getting one of those. But Pretty dogs. They are. They are. You know, as you tell these stories and you talk about hunting other places. I do. I get excited. Like just the whole, the mystique. You know, we we're down here roughing it. I mean, just Florida's got so many people, and so few less and less waters you can hunt so we're grinding it out and you forget about 
places like Chesapeake Bay that people have been hunting ducks there, I guess, since the Indians are here. So, I mean, yeah, forever. It's just, yeah, it's really. The yeah. wild places on the East Coast in general are dwindling more and more each year. And, but they can still be found. I mean, there, there's a few here and there across Florida that are, I wouldn't say truly wild, but we have a lot of public land here. Uh, the most out of any state in the east of Mississippi. Yeah. And we're fortunate to have that because you look at states like, uh, it, you could be like Texas where they have next to no public land. It's all privately owned. Yeah. Of course, that's the other side of the Mississippi, but regardless they yeah, but even places you'd think there'd be a lot like alabama mississippi and mississippi's got the mississippi river and all the tributary so i think there's a there's a ton of water in Arkansas, but there's not you think for those wide open spaces and lower population states that there'd be more public land and there just isn't and then for a lot of the land that there is that's theoretically public it's still private land with long-term leases on it but but even you know, you, you talk about water rights like that. Not every yeah. state has the same water rights we do. Georgia's very vastly different. Yeah, too sure. Louisiana, uh, the people can own the water. Yeah, the same same. Not, they, own the, they own the land under the water, but you're right. You can't. It's goofy as hell out yeah. there. You, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, you, they have uh, private duck leases on public water. Yeah. Yeah, you, you go and, like, there there were spots when we lived in Georgia on the um, Altamaha River where you weren't allowed to go because that was privately owned to either side of the river, and they basically owned past their property line back up in there. You weren't allowed to be up in there duck hunting. They had posted signs out on the river, and that was that was the case because Georgia's law reads has to be passable by barge. Uh, not just navigable, huh? Yeah. Passable by barge. Which, See, I mean. What does navigable water mean in Florida? Because there's a lot of places the airboat can go. Well, you, you have to. two inches of water. It has there. to exist. It has to exist. Year round, I do believe. Does it? Yeah. In order to to fall under that. Not to get too far down the track on that, but I actually called FWC and asked about the. Uh, oh my goodness, the uh, the boundary that they also my words are scared. the hundred year high water mark exactly yeah, and I asked, well, where do you find a map for that? And she's well, it moves I it's said, on the what? trees. And she, no, she explained that it's an average, that that, because it is, it's, it's a moving average. Right. And in some places they do have it relatively tracked, but I was asking her, so if we went, and she goes, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It, you could be in a place literally one year where you're in the public domain and the next year you're not, depending on how that average is calculated. Because who tracks that? And she said, a lot of times it's actually settled litigation. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, somebody gets into a dispute as to whether that's public or private. And I think a lot of that has to do with like builders and things. I don't think it's like hunters that are getting into these arguments. But they, they'll they settle, they'll determine where that boundary is in a courtroom or in, in, a lit, in during the litigation process. So uh, Sounds expensive. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of one of these things that if you are a hunter, you say, well, I'm on sovereign land. The answer is maybe you are, maybe you aren't. And yeah. that's good and bad because hopefully you're not dealing with someone that's going to make an issue of it. But it's not as cut and dry as a lot of guys would it's not as, like as cut it to be. And, yeah, as cut and dry as you'd hope it to be because you yeah. can find some pretty good hunting spots inside that high water mark. Yeah. 
or what you think is inside that high water mark. But they also did a problem with hunting like deer, for example, inside that high water mark is that uh, you could shoot one and then they run and Florida doesn't have a right to retrieve. So you have to have permission to cross, I guess, beyond what you believe to be in the high water mark onto yeah. private property. So that creates mm-hmm. a lot of issues. I would like to hope that with all these things, if you're back there in the river and it's high and you get back into some trees and you're not endangering anybody and you're not encroaching on another hunter and you're out there shooting some ducks or hunting deer and you are being ethical and reasonable that nobody would ring you up. And if you're asked to leave because they point out that, you know, you're not supposed to be here. I hope that as a sportsman, you're like, darn, and just leave. Yeah. Or say, is there anything I can do to, to be here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there a way we can work this out? As opposed to, you know. Step just, one, yeah. negotiate terms of the agreement. <laughs> Step two, leave. Yeah. 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 Because I'm it, leaving, but. Yeah. It, you reach a point where in the beginning, I think with a lot of people, you, you get the chance to, I would say it's fairly more common you get the chance to argue uh, in person, whether I wouldn't say argue in person, whether you're supposed to be there or not, you get the chance to leave before you have to argue that in court. Yeah. They say, you're not supposed to be here. You go, Oh, my apologies. I thought I was inside the high water mark. I'll pack my stuff up and leave. We even talked about one little piece of land. We found on Onyx, like giving it away. It's you can access it right off the public road. Half of the lake. It's actually private. Half of it says it's owned by the state of Florida. And I've been around it. There's no nothing saying that you can't be there. It is unquestionably sovereign land. But you're not too far from a restaurant. You're also not too far from a house. And you're not too far from a highway. All of which you are still, like even if they also had made that an RHA, which they won't, doesn't mean all that, but like you'd still be able to hunt legally and safely in there. But I just have a feeling that if you were, just because of that place's location, you start banging away with three-inch shells at 6.30 or 6.45 in the morning, you're going to get a talking to. Yeah. And I was thinking that, well, you know, you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be against the law. But if the officer shows up, what do you do? He says, leave. You leave. But on the way out, I'd be like, do you mind as we're leaving if I show you something? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. You know, always try to be reasonable. And you know, certainly don't want to get slapped in handcuffs because even if you win, you're going to lose because that's going to be expensive. Don't want to push yeah. your luck too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to farming. So long as Scott, I mean, that's been in, well, the the farm here has been in the family with three generations now. Yes, sir. I'm actually the fourth generation. Um, my sister has a daughter and a little boy, and they they would be the fifth generation. Caden, my niece, she helps out at the market, so... We're still carrying it on and, and hope to for many years to come. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's great. I, I would much rather see that stay a farm than become a housing development. Me and you both. Hallelujah. <laughs> Not kind of wood, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quasi wood table. Uh, but that that's something that, you know, I think we see too much of anymore. We had so many orange groves here for so many years, and then now – Look at it. What so, directly behind my house back here used to be orange groves. I got orange trees in my backyard that used to be part of that orange grove. And now it's all 
dang, everything be, behind me was still an existing grove up until just a couple of years ago. And now it's all going to be a housing development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's unfortunate. We got a lot of regulation, and not to get political, but the government gets in the way and makes decisions for you. Sometimes it doesn't have a whole lot to do with you, and um, can't get the contracts you used to, and they just kind of push you out of business. Where those guys just it's better off for them and their family to to sell the land and get some money and do something else, and they can't survive. You know, they make it uh, to where it's not worth it anymore. Unfortunately. Do so, you, go ahead, Jim. Not to geek out too much in that, but I'm trying not to ask your business, but I might inadvertently, but things like the federal estate tax and, 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 and you know, where they'll, over a certain amount, levy like a 50% tax or even, as I understand it, some municipalities are looking at ag land that is surrounded by, I'd say multifamily, and they're coming along with the farmers and saying, well, I know you're still using it as agriculture, but it could be used for this, so we want to tax you at a higher rate. Are you? Are you? If this is one of those questions that makes you feel uncomfortable, just tell us we're racist. But do you guys run into that? Is that something that's just a constant battle year in and year out? You're having a fight. No, we haven't had that experience. Thank God. Um, we're kind of on the other end at this point now, being one of the last ones left. Um, and I know Dad had, had run into it in the past, and some of those other guys had to had to fight for it. But and they. Uh, the value of your land, you know, if you're zoned ag and kept ag land is not worth the same amount as it would be if you could build on it. So our property values are not what they should be comparable because they want it to stay ag land. Right. So we mm-hmm. kind of on the losing end of that, that deal. Well, it sounds like if you want to be a farmer, you're on the winning end of that deal. <laughs> as long as you want to stay a farmer. As long as you can <laughs> yeah. afford to stay a farmer. That's yeah. the key. So, you know, we talked a lot about sweet corn in the beginning of this and I, I, there's a lot of people in the U.S. that are missing out on the Zellwood sweet corn grown right there at Long and Scott Farms. But there's another way you can get a product off of Long and Scott Farms. I don't think we've touched on it yet that is actually much more widespread, and that's your pickles. Yes, sir. We do a lot of pickling cucumbers. That would be our oldest uh, oldest crop. We've been growing that since we've since we've started. Um, uh, Clawson, we've, I think we're Clawson's oldest customer. We've been selling to them ever since we got started. Um, we do a lot of uh, fresh market on the cucumbers, so they go to a lot of terminal markets up the East Coast, like Hunts Point and New York and um, <clears throat> Boston area, Philadelphia, Detroit, and places like that, because you're going to get more return on your money that way to get that fresh pack in a crate than you would be to process pickles that you're going to put bulk in a big bin by the single bushel instead of 40 bushels, you know, the price obviously fluctuates for that. So I, I'm going to go down and already just throw it on the books that Clawson, if you haven't tried, if you're eating pickles from the grocery store and you're not eating the Clawson pickles you can find in the refrigerated section, you're missing out. They're the best. They are the best, hands down, dill pickles. And I learned that when my wife was pregnant with our first son because uh, at 2 in the morning it was, hey, you need to go to Walmart and get me another thing of cloths and pickles from the refrigerated section. <laughs> Not the very specific, but she's right. They are the better. They are the supreme pickle. They just keep the them cold uh, throughout the whole supply chain. So once they come out of the field, they go to the packing house from us. They go through the hydro cooler and the flume. They're cold. Then they get on a cold truck. They go to the cold processing facility up there and 
they bottle it and you know can it cold and it stays that way. So that's hmm. that's the difference there. Hmm. A lot more snap to it. Definitely. But the yeah, and the flavor. What you're right. There's a lot more snap to it. That's but what the man, flavor. That and my is apples, just, my pickles and my apples, man. If they don't crunch, I don't want them. You don't want those flimsy ones. Nope. <laughs> I'm particular about that. I'll eat just about anything, but I'm particular about my pickles and I'm particular about my apples. <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, you're growing the pickles. You got, what you said, the cabbage. Well, um, we got a little cabbage planted this year. This is would be our first year that we have not planted uh, acres of cabbage. Normally, we do about 250 acres in the winter of cabbage. We do some kale, collards, and things like that. Um, but we're transitioning more to sod right now with the uh, housing and everybody moving to Florida. And uh, just seems to be a better better deal at the moment so it's it's easy to transition back to vegetables um if need be but for the time that's one of the things we got to do to to stay alive it's something else to see them see them grow sodden like that that's the biggest prettiest yard you ever seen <laughs> mm-hmm. just a dang huge field of grass st augustine grass <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work goes into it oh i'm sure like a yard <laughs> and it's uh it's something neat to watch that you ever seen the machine that cuts sod out of a field yeah it's it's something else too. Run it run it up in a dang line, cutting it right off top of the ground mm-hmm. like that. It's pretty neat. There's a lot that goes into it. And there's a so do you guys grow sod for Lake Jim or you're on your own on independent? We're our own independent. Um, we're separate from them. Um, we do St. Augustine and Zoysia, and we have a little bit of Bahia grass that we do. There's the varieties or types you would say. So right now we're at about. A little over 200 acres. We're looking to get around 300 acres. If you were going to put grass in front of your house, what would you put in front of it? St. Augustine. Really? Not Georgia? No. All right. Good to know. <laughs> but you still got these certain builders and communities that uh, request or make you put the Zoysia in, there, in your yard to be part of that community. So we still got some uh, landscapers that, that like to use it. So that's what we got to do to keep them happy. Is the is the St. Augustine just that much more durable and easier to maintain? They Uh-oh. just it came out as the, the, <laughs> when the zoysia first came out, it was uh, something that wouldn't have to be taken care of as much, and that's not the case. Okay, you still got to spend a lot of time, and uh, it gets fungus and things like that. St. Augustine is almost native to Florida, so it just it, it grows well. So, what about the Bahia? Um. It just depends on what type of yard you're looking for, really. Yeah, I grow a, a good variety of well kept weeds. <laughs> That's me. That's where I'm yeah. at. I was on the. I swear to God, I was on the mow it once a quarter, whether it needs it or not, for several years. And only because I live on the end of a cul-de-sac and I do have an HOA, they didn't pay as much attention. But Mrs. Hazley finally said, "Enough's enough." So I have a feeling that Mrs. Hazley, if she's hopefully not going to listen to this podcast. She's going to be hitting me up for a whole homey resod. And that also kind of works. Again. I just hate putting that stuff. I know somebody yard. when you're ready. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of guaranteed. I, now I know where I'd be going to get my grass. But <laughs> so. The best yeah. way to keep weeds down in your yard is a nice thick, thick grass. <laughs> I use a nice John Deere lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Keep the weeds down, not out, just yeah, down, yeah. down where they're all green. Yeah. <laughs> Once you mow it tight like that, you can't really tell what kind of yard exactly. it is. 
yeah. mow mine t- like a golf green at this point. <laughs> yeah, until you go walking across it and realize, oh, there was a sand spur patch right here where he just cut the grass. <laughs> walking across it in bare feet. But I don't know. That's always something I've, I've grown up with in Florida is uh, you either learn to uh, step softly in bare feet so you don't get them dug too deep or you just get used to it. <laughs> One way or the other, if you're going right. to run around in bare feet, you're going to step on sand spurs a lot. But so what made you want to be a farmer? Oh, uh, that's both sides of my family farmed, uh, mom and my dad's side. And that's just, I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't know that anybody else really had other jobs because everybody I knew farmed. And that's just when I found out some of my friends' dads or or attorneys or did something else, I was kind of blown away. I didn't understand, but I thought everybody farmed. So it's just something I grew up doing and um, I know. And so I, I liked uh, helping my, my family out and that was the main thing, like working with my grandfather and my dad and learning from those guys. So how did you like growing up on the farm like that? Oh, it was great. Always uh, had somewhere to run around and ride four-wheelers and get away and earn some money, mainly. Always had a job. Always always could make money if you're willing to work. I spent okay. a fair amount of time working a strawberry field as a kid. As I recall, it was 25 cents a quart. Oh, I don't think it was nickel a quart. I think it was a full quarter a quart. Problem is, is when you get a bunch of twelve, are you eating? Eating, <laughs> and then of course, eventually, you know, there's always that gray, mushy strawberry. That when you get a hold of that, and you're looking at the kid across the row there wearing a white t-shirt, <laughs> that never goes unresponded to. And next thing you know, you got strawberries. <laughs> but yeah, we. Kid work, man. It was um, where I grew up. You know, you can start working at twelve. You get a work permit. But almost every kid in where I grew up, it was a Kern strawberry farm. It was in Western New York. But it was it was it was giving kids the opportunity to get out there and say, look, the, fat, the harder you work, the more quarters you're going to get. You know, I mean, it was a pretty good lesson to learn. And, it, you know, when you're 12 years old, I, mean, if I think about it now, if you put me out there in that field, I'd, I'd get about two quarts picked to be like, where's, where's the where's the blue pills that keep the anti-swelling down? <laughs> but, you know, when you're a kid, it's fantastic. You don't mind being hunched over and squatted and grabbing all those berries. It was awesome. I always liked driving stuff, so I knew that if I had to, if I was ever going to drive that tractor and a forklift, you had to get through the hard stuff and help everybody out and uh, keep them happy, and eventually they'd trust you and, Gain a little respect, and they'd, they'd put you on the equipment. That's what I was looking forward to. It ain't, it ain't easy driving equipment around out there. Y'all, y'all have quite a, a, a bunch of ditches. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy to get lost off in a ditch out there. I found a few. <laughs> I bet you have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I'd imagine if you spend as much time driving around that farm as you have, that it's it's not a as matter of if, it's a matter of when. That's, that's more like it, yes, sir. When yeah. you end up in the ditch. Yeah, because you can't you there not as much as I've driven around out there. I don't think there's a road that you cannot pass at one point where you have a ditch on both sides of you at some point on that road, mm-hmm. and usually it's multiple points throughout that road where you have a ditch where you know a T intersection. There's been a ditch on your left side the whole time, and now there's a ditch coming in on your right side, and it, it's just uh, it's a matter of when you didn't pay attention. You better be paying attention. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> especially at night. <laughs> So, 
it, it, it seems as if Long and Scott has, has been different since its inception, but uh, what have you guys done to adapt to stay alive over the years? Keep up with the uh, consumer demand. I think Dad deserves all the credit on uh, on keeping us going for sure. We uh, we needed to farm more acres and, and process more, get more done. We changed our um, harvesting from just picking by hand in a bucket and carrying it across the field, throwing it up to a boy, throw it in the in the back of a truck or in a in a bin. Now we got harvest aids. So they just stayed in one spot, walked that row. Um, I mentioned the packing house where we have a pre-cooler. And it, it can pump cool water from that pre-cooler into our grater, which has a big flume. So it'll cool that those cucumbers as they come out of the field. And as soon as they come off that grater, they can go right in the bin and get loaded right on the truck. So you're not having to put it in a pre-cooler when, in bins, cool it with that water, bring it back out, and then dump it on a dumping machine into the bins, which we had to do for years. And Dad would be able to tell you more about that. I remember being there watching him as a kid doing it. and um, He'd be there till 4 o'clock in the morning, you know. Come back during, during season, you know, those two and a half, three months, you're, you're working all the time. So Yeah. You had to get inventive and figure out how to work smarter, not not harder. And you want to go home bad enough. And <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you figured you out one way or another. <laughs> yes, sir. Between that and um, the agritainment deal with uh, the corn maze and, and the local fresh market we have out there, that's been a, a big success for us. Um, teaching the community what where the you know where the vegetables come from, not out the back of the Winn Dixie. You, people actually work hard to produce them and, and uh, get them to that store. So that's done a lot to to get people out to our country market and, and buy some produce and. Um, teaches the community really what it's all about. So, how long has the corn maze been going on? I want to say 2001 was our first year. I remember skipping school one time and going out there. <laughs> 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 it's uh, that's come a long way too. It, we used to uh, do that by a grid chain, and you had flags, and you had four people. You'd pull the grid chain each, and it was a squared off. And you'd put a flag in every corner, and then once you got to like the fifth flag, then you'd put a blue one, and then you'd have the design on a piece of grid paper, and you'd count squares one, two, three, and then you're kind of gonna curve that left one, and you'd paint it with sidewalk paint, and that's how we'd come back and cut it out. And now it's all done by GPS, and the guy comes out there, we plant it solid, and the guy comes back with a mower, and he sees exactly where he's supposed to go, and he just mows it, and then we'll come back with a rototiller. So the original corn maze, you just didn't plant it, and you grew up in the maze. You grew the maze up around. You grew the corn up around the maze. No, we still planted it solid. Oh, okay. We still planted it solid, but when it was still small, you'd go out there and take that bright orange sidewalk paint, and you, you know, just kind of make it wide enough and and guess around it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Give it your best shot. That's something else. That's I mean, neat. Yeah, because you guys have done some pretty intricate designs out there over the years. Yeah, I think that only lasted us about four or five years, thankfully. Uh, the intricate designs? <laughs> well, yeah. no, the the side or the, paint oh, the sidewalk that, paint. Yeah. Before we got into the GPS, thankfully, because that was that was a long Saturday Sunday. Yeah. What was the design <laughs> this year? Uh, this year with dinosaurs. We did uh, dinosaurs for all the kids. My 
uh, nephew Eli. He's a big dinosaur fan, so we'd uh, we're looking for something to do, and we know all the kids love dinosaurs, so yeah, hard cool. to go wrong, right? We t- we took our kids out there. My son was all about going in the corn maze, and I'm like. <laughs> I got a five-year-old and two-year-old. I was like, we are not about to go <laughs> off of that. I said, I've been in there. <laughs> I have been in there as a teenager. We went there with in high school with the ag class on like a that field trip or something. That was the day I skipped school. I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I am I am not about to take a five-year-old and two-year-old off in that corn maze. I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> Just because it, it it's going to be fun. Bye. Yeah, it's going to be fun for a while, and then they're going to get tired of it. For about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they got the kitty maze. It's only a... One acre compared to the six acre big one. So, but he, uh, as soon as he found out he could fish in that little pond, game over. That was it. He was done. That's yeah. all he wanted to do was fish. Did you catch anything? Oh, he caught quite a few. He was actually showing uh, other adults how to take bluegill off the hook. I don't doubt it. So he was, he was all about it. He so. was over being Bill Dance again. <laughs> so <laughs> he was catching fish. He's now, I mean, he's to the point now, he's been fishing. The boy could cast a fishing pole before he could walk. Really? Yes. And he's sitting in a little lawn chair before he could really walk, and he's winging the dang fishing pole with a rattle trap and the hooks on it across our front yard in Kentucky. And uh, so the kid loves to fish. And now we're out there, we're fishing. He's, he'll take his own, he baits his own hook, he takes his own fish off, and then I'm helping his sister. And this guy is standing there with a fish on the hook, and he's like looking at his wife. And I told Ryan, I said, go take that fish off the hook for him. He walks over there, just whoop, just you know, makes the sea with his hand, runs it down the back, unhooks it, throws it back in the water, and walks back over to me. I'm like, ah, that's my boy. <laughs> I believe it. But he's just been he's been raised outdoors, so he he loves that type of stuff. And to get him out there, and you know, y'all's country market, and we had a heck of a day out there. He enjoyed the slide and the zip line and every dang thing else. And they, does everything from the market you guys sell there is that all source local? Um, I'm not sure exactly where all that is made from. It changes year in and year out sometimes. My sister, she Haley, she does all the, the market and cafe. She's done a real good job of getting some new stuff in there. and Some of its stuff are, is our label and, and locally canned and preserved and put up. But um, her and mom aren't the ones back there doing it by any means. I was going to say, that, that, rolled, <laughs> that, rolled, well, that rolled butter you guys got, oh, that, that, that stuff is good. Yeah. Sometimes we were, used, we did some strawberries for a while, and Mom would put all the strawberry jam up. And uh, if you got some of that, that was that was on time. That was pretty good stuff. We came there uh, right before Halloween. We got pumpkins and stuff there. So that was it's a, it's a good trip. It's always if you guys haven't been to the, the country market there, that's it's not a place where you just go and buy vegetables. You could spend a day there. Certainly. Doing the hayride and the corn maze and fall time is a good time to be on the farm. It's uh, everybody's busy working, and veggies are coming in harvest time, and everybody's happy and the weather's cooling down and football season and hunting season's here, so everybody seems to be in a good mood that time of year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You guys do a lot with kids too. I mean, that's that educational component kind of a big deal. I think you know you touched on a little bit about teaching kids, but. Vegetables don't just magically appear in cellophane at Publix. Right, uh, very big deal to Dad. He he uh, he he enjoys teaching those kids, and that's a big part for him. He he loves to explain to them why this is you know why we're here and doing what we're doing. So we uh, get a lot of school groups and scout groups and things that come out during the week. On the weekend is when it's open to the public. So um, that was one of my grandfather's favorite things was watching those kids play on the. 
playgrounds out there during the weekend, church groups and stuff like that. It's awesome. Do you guys still have that satellite uh, out by the airport on 441? They still sell vegetables out there? No, sir. We just, uh, they sold that property and then they're clearing it. I'm not sure if they're putting house in it. Yeah, I'm sure it's houses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right down the corner? Right there across the road from the airport, Zellwood Airport. The Apopka Airport, yeah. Apopka Airport. That's still, that'll that'll be forever be Zellwood to me. (laughs) They're calling it that Apopka now? I guess so. Is is that still Zellwood or are they calling all that Apopka? I'm sure it's probably Apopka. Zellwood probably didn't start to hit the truck stop. (laughs) Apopka doesn't want to claim the truck stop. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so all the stuff that we're talking about i guess you could kind of classify under agro-tourism right I yeah mean, admittedly despite the fact that you know as a kid that's all we did but i grew up in a very rural area but i'm i'm that guy because you know my kids live in a subdivision so we would haul them out to your place and they're little and i'd try to tell them stories and they whatever dad that was a hundred thousand years ago you know what i mean so <laughs> But it, how how I know it's important to you. I believe you know from our conversations that it's important to you, like spiritually almost. But I guess like how important is the agrotourism become to farming in Central Florida, or at least particularly to your farm? For us and a lot of farms, um, by getting folks out there and letting them know you're there, because otherwise we're kind of off the beaten path. And unless you hear about it from somebody else, you don't you don't really know. So you get a lot of folks that have you know their kids go to a field trip and then their parents come with them and then they know about it and it kind of get passes on that way word of mouth um so it, it's helped us get through some tough years where you know the vegetables weren't weren't paying the bills and you know you get a i think we've had a man i want to say upwards of fifteen thousand people in a season out there come through the maze um, dang some some weeks you know two over two thousand people in a weekend there's a lot of folks <laughs> Man, from the outside looking in, you make it look easy. I know it's not, but I'm saying from the outside looking in, you, you look like you got yourself a championship operation running there. Uh, like per- this idea that, oh, there's years that are tight, which I, I have no reason to doubt there's not, but man, it doesn't look like it. It looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're doing a great job. It. We, uh, we got some very good help. Some loyal, loyal folks that work for us, employees that have been there for years and, um, Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. That's what we try to do. <laughs> Keep us going. So, so how bad did it affect you guys when they quit doing the Zellwood Sweet Corn Festival? Um, because that was something that went on for many years, and that would generally attract. I mean, you had, I think, pretty sure Reba McIntyre came and sang there one year. John Anderson, he's John show up Anderson. Like he year. was there all the Willie time. Nelson was out there. The Nosha Building is still there. All that yeah. stuff is still there where it used to be. But they don't have it anymore. Well, they do the truck pools out there now. Yeah. Hank Williams was supposed to come one year, but he said since Lee Greenwood was coming, he wasn't singing on the same stage with him. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know what, what their deal, what their beef is, but that's that's what our, that's the rumor. But um, I, I was still running the packing house at that time. I used to do all the shipping and um, grading, run, managing the packing house when I was that age. Um, and those that weekend was a busy weekend because we were sending a lot of trucks back and forth out there i never really got to go out and have fun at it we were always working that end of it damn corn festival <laughs> i know so that's well, kind of the attitude i had uh, yeah. i had a, i had other stuff i felt was important going on shipping these other cucumber trucks going out instead of that mess but uh we do miss it and wish it was would still go on we try to do a 
a jamboree is what we called it at the at the farm one year and it didn't uh, work out as well as we had liked but you know maybe one day we can get these folks rounded up get them back together and get yeah. something going again that would be sure be nice to... well the notion building's still there mm-hmm. they're an arm and a leg to rent it i was gonna say there. man you you'd think that they were full every weekend or something if you ever called up to ask them to use it we used to rent that place out for thanksgiving the whole family would go out there we'd spend thanksgiving there <laughs> it's it's quite a little building there yeah I know growing up, my parents always called it the Fly Festival. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. What would it take to resurrect? I mean, you mentioned you've got 30 or 40 acres in corn. I would would think you'd have to pretty much take almost all your crop and just say, here you go, it's the Corn Festival. That's it. Or am I exaggerating that a little bit? I want to say we would do at least a good... You know, five or ten acres for a weekend at the corn festival. You'd have to plant it, you know, just for that weekend. But that would be enough to fe- to to feed everybody that wanted corn at the corn festival. If I did a good job, yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> Get Reba on the phone. <laughs> yeah, right. You know how these celebrities—they all want certain specialties, and everything's got to be perfect for them. They're not going to come out and see you unless they get. Butter, fat, salt, that's what you get. Fat paycheck, you know. <laughs> Special camper set up where they can do their hair and all that. I know Garth's back on tour. I have to give him a call. Yeah. Maybe he'll come down and, and, and sing us a tune. Uh, Garth Brooks and Michael Ray. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that what – so is it – I was always under the impression it was a lack of corn that killed the corn festival. Was it? Is it more just society change and the numbers weren't there or – the way I understood it, it was the people at the NOSHA building couldn't come to terms on some things about mm-hmm. oh. how to handle everything. We were kind of left out of that. We were just, they just kind of purchased it from us. Yeah, you're you're just like only the most important part of Yeah. The <laughs> you're the only one with the corn. Yeah. <laughs> That's what doesn't make sense. We're still here. Why they don't keep it going, I don't know. <laughs> we could sure use the, the bump in revenue. <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute, all we need to do is find a decent sized parade ground and some country singers and we can have the corn festival back? Get to work. Get right. <laughs> so we're you, not you're not even like, nah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good talent and good food. I don't know what else you need. Yeah. So when you when you look to the future, where do you see Long and Scott Farms in sixty years? Uh-huh. I mean, you're you're sixty years in now, about, right? Something like that. So another sixty years, man. That's one hundred and twenty years. Hopefully, I'm still around to to see it, and uh, hopefully, the farm is. Um, for now, like I say, we're transitioning into a little more turf grass and sod than, than we have. Um, but I'd still like to be growing vegetables and have that country market there on the corner and family working for us. And we all live pretty local. Everybody, you know, my dad's right down the street, and myself and my sister. And, Uncle Marks, and we all still work together as a family, so that's the fun part. There's something to be said for that, you know, working with your family and, and sticking with that common goal of just keeping the farm, you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I think we lose that. A lot of people have lost that. You, you see from one generation to the next, and interest gets interest gets lost in farming, and and actual having to actually perform labor for work, and that's where we end up with 
the farm turns into houses because nobody's going to continue growing vegetables. And if nobody's going to continue growing vegetables, then what are we going to eat? And you're right. bringing an informatic country with who knows what's sprayed on it. And oh, yeah. How it's been taken care of. But yeah, that was one thing that the agritourism thing has also done that we kind of touched on was a. Uh, it's also been able to provide some more jobs for you know local community and uh, other family members that might not have had the opportunity to work out there because you were kind of limited on certain jobs to do and that were available. So with that market, you know, my sister gets to help out and, and her daughter, my niece and other family members, you know, her cousins and they all come out there and help them during season. So it's fun to watch that. Oh yeah. And you can go to the, 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 uh, little market there and you can mine for gems. That's right. That's new. <laughs> I had to fight my son off of that. <laughs> that's, that's new this year. We try to, introduce something new new every year out there so that was that was Haley's new deal this year yeah nope. that that definitely sucks the kids in <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna back up a little bit i don't know if y'all, y'all have bees do you guys do honey too we don't do the honey i have a beekeeper who okay. comes out um mike warren he takes care of all the bees for us and the bees are right there on the property aren't they yes sir because the honey's in the market so that's why i asked because uh, i was I was shocked to learn this, that um, apparently a lot of the honey that you can get in stores, and there's rules against it, but it's hard to keep it up. Like, if you were to test, it ain't even honey. Like, that there is, it's just been cut and corn syrup, but like, that, I mean, I'm not kidding, that there's an awful lot of, it looks like honey, it tastes like honey, but if you were actually running an analysis, it's not, or it's been so cut, it's like 40% honey, 50% honey, and the rest is other stuff, you know, and I brought that up only because you mentioned that when we, you know, if we lose control as a nation, right, in an area, that if we lose control of our ability to produce food, you know, just, it just ripped, ripples into all kinds of other problems that you don't sometimes, think. if you get right down, it comes down to national defense, I suppose. You can't feed your people. You can hold you hostage. Ain't <laughs> much yeah. you're going to do about it, man, because if you can't feed your people, they're going to riot. Um, I'm kind of spinning off into, you know, apocalyptic scenarios, but we, you know, a lot of times we don't think that way. The bees are very important. So it wasn't just bees. It was, I just brought that up as just one example because you mentioned foreign influence and as I understand this counterfeit honey is not coming from the United States. It's being brought in from other places. And you mentioned vegetables that you don't know how they've been treated or they're just not. They don't have the same rules, regulations that we abide by here and they don't have any for the most part. And, uh, definitely not as fresh because it takes so long to get here, and that's one of the reasons they can they have a longer shelf life because they can put all that stuff on there and to keep it to last longer to make it to your grocery stores. Yeah, when you're buying watermelons this time of year, they didn't come. From no. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing with the orange deal, you know, these days. And that's why you say you get your backyard used to have orange trees in. These local guys have nowhere to go with their oranges or their juice anymore because uh, most of them are owned by Brazilian companies. They own the juice plant. They own the farms down there, and they own the juice plants here and the farms there. So as long as it's 20% Florida oranges, you can call it Florida orange juice. Really? 80% Brazilian orange juice. But put 20% of Florida juice in there, Florida orange juice. Hmm. That's a crock of And crap. so they're going to yeah. buy their oranges first. Before they come and buy the local stuff, obviously. 
I don't remember. It, it just, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Briar. I'll finish up. I don't remember how old I was before I ever had to buy an orange. <laughs> yeah, I, you I don't got orange trees in your an orange. I don't know that I ever have. <laughs> but I don't know, how do you how do you grow an orange? Put it, or I guess they process it down there. They ship and concentrate here. How do you get an orange all the way from Brazil to the United States more cost effectively than from around the corner, basically? There's probably not enough oranges here. Labor costs. The labor costs, spray costs. They can harvest year-round. I don't know. Their harvest time is different. Um, They'll put them on the cargo containers and ship them bad boys right over here. They probably got to put them on a truck eventually. I don't know, man. One of the more economic mysteries, I guess. So tell us some of your favorite stories growing up on the farm. Oh, favorite stories. I don't know. Uh, he's he's turned a page in his notes. notes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about the ones that I was able to tell. I'm looking at all the notes he has. He is unquestionably the most prepared guest we've ever had. Yeah, I don't like get caught in my pants down. You know, <laughs> make sure uh, I can answer your questions. So, there's plenty of stories to tell. I uh, always enjoy the stories from the people before me. You know, they're what they went through. Because I think I had it tough. I didn't have it too bad, really, considering. Um, but those guys, they had a good time because they all worked together, and you had all those farms back then. So they would have muck suppers on Tuesday nights, first Tuesday night every month. They would, uh, the clubhouse, you can still see it if you go down 429 when you pass where Lust Road is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look over there to the right, just after that, that's that's the clubhouse. And they would get together and they'd play cards and cook food and have a grand old time. And I was too young to go back then, but I remember dad not, you know, not coming home that Tuesday night or, or I would be <laughs> in bed by the time he was. So hearing those stories were always, always fun. <clears throat> um, Let's see. I worked the packing house, like I told you, in, in high school. So uh, my friends would always come hang out with me because I wasn't hanging out with them, that's for sure. They had to come <laughs> see me. And while you waited on trucks, we'd, we'd kind of hang out there. And even into after graduation, I lived in a little trailer out there. So we would I'd work from 7 in the morning till I loaded the last truck, which could be 2 o'clock in the morning or whenever it was. And I had a trailer on site, and they'd be hanging out over there waiting on me, and I could see him over there i'd be loading trucks one after the other on the forklift spent a lot of time on a forklift uh, in my 20s and teens so <laughs> um i don't know we uh would always go to uh lunch at papa's house when i was a kid that was fun um when he was around and grandma he would cook so um that was neat when you're referring to Papa, that's your grandfather, that's Frank? Yes, sir. Like, you just, I don't know if we don't have a camera here, but you can ha- you can see just your body language. That, that memory's got an impact on you. It's good to see. That's uh, it's powerful. Some of those things, that they just stick with you forever. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's all good stuff. I guess in the end of the day, it's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Well, he kept us going. He was, he was tough cookie, so... Like I say, we had both sides of the family work together. My Uncle Rick was my mom's brother, and he loved Papa. Um, he said that he would throw himself out of bed in the morning, 
because he was so excited about going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into something a little more lighthearted. And tell me, tell me some of your funny stories or one of your funny stories from growing up on the farm. Well, when uh, we were kids, you always, I think that's when uh, Tim McGraw was coming out and getting down on the farm and all that <laughs> song had come out. So you were wanting to, we used to party in New Orleans Groves. Um, yep. But you always wanted to have a have a party on the farm. So you would save up your lunch money and round up as much cold beer as you could and <laughs> tell all your buddies to come out. And so one night we decided we'd give it a shot. And uh, uh, we had a guy that was living on the farm at the time and we were uh partying kind of i guess uh not too far away from not as far as we should have been away from him let's put it that way and uh he heard some noise so he called my dad and dad called the law he thought it was uh you know some of the the migrants some of the help we had out there that, that was making all that noise and partying so uh we're i'm supposed to be loading trucks at the packing house because uh, I was working that night as well as uh, throwing a party. And uh, I looked up and uh, we were hanging out. <laughs> I looked up and see cop lights come around the corner. I said, that's that's not good, you know. By that time, I turned around behind me and there's mom and dad in, in the vehicle. And um, mom looks at dad and she goes, oh, my goodness, I think we just called the law on our son. <laughs> and you're thinking, I hope the cops keep me overnight. <laughs> That's that's about right at that time. I I knew I'd messed up, and he uh, made sure everybody got out of there. And I think he had to trace one of my buddies down through the field who decided he wanted to run, and uh, <laughs> was very not happy about that. He said, "If he calls you and he's stuck, don't don't go help him. Call me. I got it." So <laughs> he said, "You know where you belong. Get get back to the packing house, and you got a truck waiting on you." So I had to go load my truck and. Uh, I made it alive. Had to go clean up my mess the next day, but that was one of those uh, hard lessons to to learn. That's that's how you know that that farm work goes twenty four seven because he didn't send you home to chew your ass. No, no, he sent he you sent back you to back work. work. That's right. <laughs> this was ten thirty at night, I think. So, <laughs> and this was about some teen years old, I assume. Yeah, I was probably seventeen. Yeah, that's yeah. by the right age. It's amazing how you can rationalize things at that age, like. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I really want to do that. So I'm just going to have to figure out how to do both at the same time. That when you look back at it at 40 or 50, you're like, man, that was really, how in the world I think that was going to work? I don't think but at 17, you're like, I got it all wired. It's on rails. <laughs> yeah, I was still working. I would load one and then go back to the party. And then I'd go back and load a truck and I'd come back to the party and it caught up with me. <laughs> <laughs> It all it always does. It always seems yeah. to catch up to you one way or another. Yes, sir. Oh man, that's awesome though, man. <laughs> Mom and Dad rolling in. Oh god. Oh yeah, they didn't even realize who they who they'd called the law on. But uh, they they kind of laugh about that. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I was telling you. You know, we were off the air that 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 place. It kept me out of prison. Oh, yeah. Being, having that, just having that place to, uh, to get away. Right. And, uh, oh, man. I'm sure you had the same thing. That high school breakup girlfriend, you go out there and it's just, you're on the farm. You get away from everything. Well, that's the best way to forget about something like that is go to work. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, a lot of my friends will tell you that they were lucky enough to to be able to go out there and do that, and we had a blast running those running those farm roads and fishing those ponds and frog digging and shooting dove and. There's some dang good fishing in those ponds now. Yeah, some of them. Some of them. Yeah, I've I've, I've seen some good fish come out. You can catch some some serious dang soft shell turtles out of there too. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another story. I'll get into that later. But before we get into that, yeah, I thought of one of those too. <laughs> Man, we 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 like to end every episode with a with the tip of the week, and uh, I'll start us off by saying that. Take a kid outdoors because just like farming, hunting is a generational thing, largely. Uh, hunting, farming far more than hunting because you don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be a farmer. It's not that easy. You you can just wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to go hunt. I, w- I want to be a hunter. And you can learn and you can... Uh, comparative to farming, it's far cheaper to get into hunting. Um, but it's expensive still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's a gateway in taking a kid, even taking another adult, get them out there in the great outdoors and pass it on to the next generation of people. That's a good one. And if you're struggling exactly how to do that, January 22nd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. January 22nd at Seminole Forest, there will be at least two dozen fellers, men and women, out there chasing small game. You can have a chance to meet some of the small game legends like Cameron Gordon. He'll be the guy with six rabbits, three ducks, and 32 squirrels (laughs) by 8 a.m. In shorts and flip-flops. Yeah. (laughs) But it's a great piece of land. There will be some very good people out there. And uh, come on out and join us. By the interest in our small game hunt out there, I'm kind of wondering if, if uh, Seminole Force is actually going to hit its limit of daily permits this year. We can call uh, Jean Marie and she'll give us a pass, I'm pretty sure. Well, there we go. We'll give it a shot. Yeah, we'll let her know. But they don't, I don't think they generally do. I mean, it's, it's not uh, small game is not a popular thing, but mm-hmm. we're making it popular. Yeah. I don't know between us and the Vietnamese. <laughs> Listen, don't knock those guys because <laughs> them they guys know how to can, hunt some squirrels. Them guys Lethal. can kill some squirrels. I did give Cameron a run. Yeah. Lethal. Briar, what do you got? Um, mine is scheduling, especially during hunting season. Be careful what you schedule during hunting season. <coughs> Jordan. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> I was thinking of myself. But. Yeah, well, yeah, him too. Uh, yeah, that's that's mine. Just be aware that it's hunting season, and usually the weekends are already pre-scheduled <laughs> for other activities other than um, – than uh, whatever everybody else has planned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's actually a great segue because mine was going to be, you know, be conscious of time um, during the show today. I have a little emotional moment talking about family and people that have moved on, but I was, not to keep a negative connotation on it, but be conscious of time. When you're younger, you just think there's always going to be more of it. So, in one respect, you know, don't be afraid to tell the people that you love that you love them, even though you may tell them every day. But also, along the way, we all got to work. We got to save money, man. This is all vital. But don't put off everything that you say, I'm going to do that later till later. Because I'm the oldest man in the room here by at least 13 years. 
And there's still a lot of things that I said, you know, I'm going to do that later. And I, I very much keep waking up and realizing later was yesterday. So work hard, you know, be diligent, but remember to smell the roses mm-hmm. along the way. Sunday, what do you got? Stop and smell the roses. That's, that's exactly right. Um, mine kind of goes along with, with working. And um, I was thinking of these young kids growing up and trying to find a job and gaining some respect and uh i guess the way i did it was uh you, you got to go out there and first find something you enjoy doing but then um try to become irreplaceable at your job you know you don't want you, you got to be so good that people don't want to and they can't afford to lose you you know they need you that bad they gotta hang on to you they they wouldn't know how to how to go on without you so become that good at your job that everybody wants to have you there keep you there yeah, fair enough there was a i can't remember who said it but there was a fellow that said um if you want to be paid more for what you do, you first have to do more for what you're paid. Goes right along with that, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. You won't have to ask for a promotion if you're invaluable. They'll just keep throwing money at you. Can't lose you. <laughs> exactly. Well, Sonny, I appreciate you joining us this week. It's it's been fun, and uh, it's brought back a lot of memories for me talking about uh, both of us, the farm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It gave me some time to reflect on some things I'd forgot about and hadn't thought about in years, and. Uh, Glad to join y'all. I really appreciate you having me in here. We uh, had a good time. Hope to talk more to you. Hey, go out and check out the that uh, the country market. What what's the dates that that's open? We'll be opening in mid February, um, and then that should be through our spring season. The corn should start coming in. Let's say uh, late April corn and cucumbers, mid to late April for our spring season. So what you're saying is you get actual fresh vegetables from the farm it was grown on. That is correct. Yes, sir. What an uh, ideal under pressure outdoors event that might be. <laughs> Bring the kids out, boil some corn, eat some pickles. Well, I don't know if you, you have pick at least have the cucumbers. Wait a minute, wait a minute now. What what that was April you or February to April? Yes. We start planting in uh, February and we harvest in April. Oh, all right. And I'm okay. sure we'll have perfect, some. Perfect, perfect. So we're having a crawfish bowl in May. Oh, yeah. We'll have beginning it. in May. So what I'm thinking is, is we make sure instead of just regular old corn, we stack that pot full of Zellwood sweet corn. There you go. That's you still have it? That much better. May 7th? Yes, sir. If you listen to this podcast, mark your calendars, May 7th. The second bowl. annual Under Pressure Outdoors crawfish bowl. Second annual. Mm. Got to figure out who we're going to benefit that's hmm. that's another another question. There's been rumors of uh, some giveaways to match what was given away at the uh, pig roast. Pig roast, mm-hmm. really? Yeah, possibly. Some some talk going around about some stuff. There, there's been some talk in the works. Mm. We'll see what ends up in the uh, the old the, raffle to benefit somebody. Don't Gordon, you uh, are ineligible. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, just don't make it for another uh, veterans charity before I go broke again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both spent one hundred and twenty dollars to I win a dang bow and didn't win nothing. I, Cameron I, Gordon won it on twenty bucks. I spent like two hundred bucks. But I, I spent quite a bit. <laughs> I never feel bad about that though. Me no, either. No, I don't take my wallet. Me yeah. either. But uh, I need Cameron Gordon to come buy me a lottery ticket since it's at what six hundred and something million right now. For uh, I heard it's like four hundred. <laughs> That's what it was now. I don't care. 
really could put the gold in the studio at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Sonny, man, it really serious as a comment. This is, I mean, we love, I love this whole podcast and we meet different people, get to do different things, but this has been one of my favorite chats we've had in some time. And, uh, you know, thank you very much for doing what you do and coming in and visit with us. And um, I'm realizing that I need to make more time to come out and, I don't know, man, just like everybody else, man, we buy the vegetables, we get halftime because they're right around the corner at Publix, but it's just different when you get them from the farm. Buy local. Yeah. Buy local, support your local farmers, and be healthy, eat fresh, and feed your family. We're trying to feed our family just like you feed ours. We feed yours. We we eat the same stuff that that we're selling you, and we love having families and kids come out and see us and uh, new faces. That's always a good thing to see on the farm and everybody having fun and learning. That's that's what it's all about. Thank you. Well, we'll catch you guys next week.